everyone. I'm Jessica Hornstein. Welcome to the No Not Crazy podcast, where we explore the invalidating messages we internalize, their effects on our lives, and the ways we can free ourselves from them. We've all had those experiences that make us question ourselves and even sometimes feel a little crazy. Let's stop accepting the idea that there is something inherently wrong with us and begin to appreciate that actually there is something fundamentally right. So join me, and together we can all feel a little less crazy. Welcome, everybody. Today on the No Not Crazy podcast, we have a big and important topic to discuss. So we are here today with Sybil Cummin. Sybil is a licensed professional counselor and approved clinical supervisor specializing in working with survivors of domestic violence and narcissistic abuse, including the youngest witnesses. She specializes even further by focusing her work with survivors who are experiencing abuse post-separation and abuse in our family court system. She created the Rising Beyond Community and the Rising Beyond podcast to offer hope and strategies for healing from abusive relationships and offers training for other mental health professionals on working with this population. Welcome, Sybil. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me and kind of allowing me to share my knowledge and passion with a wider audience. Yeah, it's such a, um, it's not an easy topic uh, to, to grapple with, but it's really necessary. I think that we we talk about it. I was going to say it's a, a topic that really out of any kind of crimes or any of these types of things is, is still really secretive mm-hmm. and, you know, taboo to really discuss. But the numbers and the rates of it are so astronomical that it's happening so much more than people want to believe. Yes, I'm sure. So yeah, before we get into the heart of it, maybe you could, you know, give us a a definition of of domestic abuse or domestic violence, because I think it might be helpful for us to understand as we enter into this conversation, really what we're talking about, what those, you know, what the parameters are. Yeah, absolutely. It is important because people have a true misconception of what domestic abuse and domestic violence looks like. Very often it is solely thought of as kind of physical abuse within an intimate relationship. And that is just a tiny piece of what domestic abuse, um, some people call it intimate partner violence. Some people use the term narcissistic abuse. Most of it is kind of interchangeable, but really what we're talking about, and so as we're talking today, um, it is a systematic and willful pattern of power and control from one intimate partner to another. And so it is really that process of one intimate partner doing all the things that they can do to have power and control over their other partner within the relationship. So that could be physical abuse and threatening physical action. It could be sexual abuse. It also could be elements of coercion, coercive control. And so those things include, you know, the verbal and emotional abuse, um, financial and economic abuse is actually the most common with across 
you know, all domestic violence cases. Mm -hmm. Um, It can, you know, incorporate using children. It can incorporate all the things we talk about of um, that gaslighting and making you doubt your reality, these psychological abuses. And so it incorporates so many things, not just the physical aspect of abuse. And the one actually that I didn't mention that is always like the last one mentioned is spiritual abuse as well. So using spirituality, scripture to abuse in certain ways is is also a piece of what we're talking about, domestic abuse. Wow. Yeah. I think I'm so glad you said that because I don't think people necessarily think of all those things. And it is really important to understand because people might be in a situation, right, where they don't recognize what's going on Mm -hmm. as as abusive right yeah and that term it's interesting it's like a newer term or like the cool kids term um of narcissistic abuse that term really is for people who don't subscribe to the term domestic violence because of those misconceptions And so when they look at narcissistic abuse, they're looking at those other elements of coercive control that they're experiencing because they may not be experiencing physical abuse at all. There may be zero physical threats. And so that term has really kind of felt true for more people. It is a form of domestic violence. And if that term fits what you believe about yourself and about your situation better, then I'm going to meet you where you're at and use that term also. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I think so many, so many of us have experienced in relationships, having a partner invalidate our experience Mm -hmm. um, or our reality and, you know, try to talk us out of how we feel about what we're experiencing and, you know, other people around us, may do the same. Um, our family and friends, you know, may be well-meaning, but we'll, we'll say things, right? Like, oh, you know, he's not that bad, right? Or, um, yeah. you know, you should just be grateful that you have a roof over your head or, you know, mm-hmm. what, right? I'm sure you have a lot of examples of that. And then we end up also talking ourselves out of it. Right. We do that number on ourselves where, you know, that am I crazy thing? And yeah. And, you know, we we know something isn't right or we we're not happy. Um, but we think either, you know, that's our fault or we're tra- or we we're talking or trying to talk ourselves out of how we feel or that we should behave differently and then we can change this the situation. And, you know. A lot of the time, not that we shouldn't take personal responsibility for things, but in in these kinds of situations, that really is not um, what it's about, right? And so, yeah. obviously, um, you know, domestic abuse is like the very extreme example on the spectrum of of these kinds of relation, you know, toxic relationships or something like that. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, if you could maybe speak a little bit to that and really how that plays out in in different aspects of these these situations. Yeah, it is absolutely a very extreme example and even just in the definition um kind of the important some of the important pieces of that is that it's a systematic process. It doesn't just like 
one day things are abusive. They actually have been since the very beginning, since your first interaction with that person. And the other piece that is, it's hard to stomach. It's like we, the majority of people in the world want to give people the benefit of the doubt. In these cases where it is, you know, power and control, it is willful. So it's done fairly knowingly. Like Mm. there is a purpose and I'm doing this on purpose in order to have this control over you. Um, So that's gross. But one of the main kind of tactics in their arsenal is that kind of gaslighting, minimizing excuses. And they will start with that and give, you know, for whatever bad behavior they might have, they may first say like, gosh, I'm, I am so sorry. And they'll feign remorse. And like, it has just been the roughest day. And because we are going to give people the benefit of the doubt in general, we're like, gosh, yeah, you, you did have just such a hard day at work and we excuse Mm -hmm. and we excuse and we minimize. And it's like, wow, I should have noticed he had a hard day at work. I probably shouldn't have brought that up right then. And that continues. And so in these relationships, we're conditioned Mm -hmm. over time to look at ourselves, look to change ourselves. We stop even noticing our intuition. We just start to ignore it. And then we do, we start to have this internalized gaslighting of, if only I were a better wife, if I was better in the bedroom, if I was X, Y, Z, I'm a better parent. If if our children were quieter, if I knew how to handle them, then this behavior from my partner wouldn't happen. And so that happens throughout the relationship and it happens after a lot of times too. And so um, I work with a lot of, um, I, I do work with men because men experience abuse as well in relationships, uh, the community I run is specifically for women. And so when we, you know, after they've left and we're dealing post-separation and there's a whole nother podcast, but our family court system allows, or actually not allows, it supports abuse to continue Mm post-separation. And so you have to have contact with your partner. So the gaslighting gets to, gets to continue. Um, the gaslighting happens within the court system, right? Just this idea that, um, a high conflict divorce, which I just did the air quotes around high conflict because that is domestic abuse. Right. 90 plus percent of high conflict divorce is domestic abuse, but the court systems believe it is both parties. Mm-hmm. Both parties are at fault here. And all the professionals around you will be looking to you as like, what is your, like, this is your fault too. Like even just the phrase of like, well, you married him. Yeah, yeah. You married him yeah. is gaslighting all in and of itself and, and that victim blaming. But even as I'm working within my community, there's this idea that my situation isn't as bad as. Mm. So I don't deserve your support or um, I'm taking up too much space because I don't share children with my ex. So I don't have to worry about abuse of them later, or I wasn't physically harmed and you were physically harmed. I don't deserve. Mine wasn't as bad. And so that conditioning that we've had within the relationship and maybe even as kids, right? As children, like we sometimes learn that our feel, you know, don't cry. 
mm-hmm. cry. Mm-hmm. We've learned over time. And so it's just that constant conditioning to where we will also then gaslight ourselves as a, like during that healing process after we've left. Yes. Um, so yeah, gaslighting is is throughout the entire process of domestic abuse as you're healing from the people around you because they don't understand. Um, family and friends will say things like, I just can't believe it. He's always been so nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and so then it's like, oh, you know, and there's an embarrassment to that. And um, so, yeah, it's just that like sy- systemic process conditioning yes. that keeps us stuck in that. Yes, yes. To your point, I mean, the fact is, is that we've, a lot of the times I think we learned in our childhood what to, you know, what we have a right to expect in a relationship, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of the time for a lot of us, that was not not a whole hell of a lot. You know, you don't deserve this or that or whatever. And you should just be grateful that, yeah, you know, you're being fed or, you, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, to have hopes sort of beyond that is selfish or something and then when we're with a we pick a partner who is going to reflect that and then when we're with that partner right we can't yeah. see that you know that that's not okay right it, it'll be harder just to have a sense of that and then of course the cycle continues right because the children assuming there's children from that relationship right well then what are those children learning mm-hmm. those children are then learning this is what a relationship looks like, right? Yeah. And they don't have a right to expect, you know, that they shouldn't expect a loving, safe, secure relationship that, you know, embraces the whole of who they are and all of that. Yeah. So it just keeps perpetuating, I would imagine. Yeah. And it's, you know, the victim parent, very often, like while you're in it, you are just focused, even if you're not consciously focused on safety, your nervous system doesn't give you a choice. A lot Mm -hmm. of times you're just going to focus on safety. What's going to keep myself and my children safer today? My children behaving perfectly will keep us safer. Mm -hmm. And so whatever I need to do to have them not bicker, not cry, do what I'm asking, do what their partner's asking. Mm -hmm. That in and of itself can kind of condition our kids to have, um, you know, start to, you know, not notice or prevents them from kind of emotional intelligence, like building that emotional intelligence. And then kids, because they're brilliant and their nervous systems work just like ours do, they will learn very often to like their fawning response. It's like the fourth trauma response, which is like appeasement. Yes. They will learn that keeps them safe. And we're not always, again, when I talk about safety, it's all encompassing, not just physical safety, but emotional emotional safety. So if they are people pleasing and stroking the ego of the abusive parent, then, and they're seeing, and their nervous system is like, oh, wow, you're safer. Mm. You're safer. Do this always, do this always, do this always. They will then learn, this is how I stay safe in relationships, and they will always do it. Mm -hmm. And so that, 
you know, a lot of people pleasing comes from that fawning trauma response is I'm emotionally safer, even physically safer when I do this. So that again, perpetuates because there is a, an ideal target for someone who has narcissistic or abusive traits and people pleasing is one of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so it's sort of both it's children are learning it first of all, from watching their parents interact and mm-hmm. the uh, toxicity of that and and that being the the role model for a relationship. And they're also learning it because of the sort of the demands that yeah. it's making on their behavior and their their responses to the situation. Yeah. Yeah. So it's coming at them. They're learning. Yes. They're learning it from all over. Um, and they're learning, right, that emotions shouldn't be talked about. You shouldn't show your emotions because um, for many reasons, right? If I'm crying, my parent gets angry. So I'm not going to cry. And they'll say it's not that bad. Or they'll, you know, say like, you're not sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, those things. And that right. doesn't just happen in abusive relationships, right? That happens sure, with busy All parents. The time. Yeah. Right? Like. Oh, I don't have time for this, you know, this breakdown right now because we're running late. Right. Yeah. How do we respond to that? Right. Absolutely. And shoot, I'm a mama. And do I respond 100% awesome all the time? No, because I'm human. Right. And so, you know, it's like not beating yourself up all the time, but really focusing on the repair mm-hmm. if you need to repair. Yes. Yeah. Also, it seems that I mean, yeah, you're you're denying they're they're being asked to deny their feelings. You're not sad and this and that, but it is also a case of, you know, being asked to deny your reality, right? The children, like in in families where it's not talked about, and again, as you say, it doesn't even have to be as extreme as domestic abuse. But when something's going on and nobody's talking about it, and it's the elephant mm-hmm. in the room, and it's obvious, and the kids know everything, yeah. you know, I was a teacher for many many years. And I am a parent. Um, and, you know, they know everything. They know or they know what's going on. They may, But if nobody's talking to them about it, they may not know what it's about or how to characterize it and where to put it in its place. And is it about them or not? You know, they don't they don't get a chance to sort of have a a real sense of reality. <laughs> right. Yeah. And if, you know, there's over like they are sometimes overtly told not to talk about mm-hmm. it. Or if child protection is called, it's like, you don't talk to that caseworker. You mm-hmm. don't tell them about mm-hmm. this. Or there's that, you know, covert threats or the covert rewards for not talking about it. Mm-hmm. And so they've, you know, they're conditioned to keep it a secret. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you keep things secret, you don't have a place to process what's gone on. You can find yourself being like, gosh, did that really happen? Did I make that up? Did I exaggerate that? My parent is really cool sometimes. Like they take me to Disneyland or they buy me these things. Are they really as horrible as I thought, you know, as I thought they were? Right. And so just the the act of secrecy or that idea of secrecy also kind of adds to that gaslighting because they don't have a place to process what they've experienced. Yeah. And they also, I mean, without that place to process what they've experienced, you, they can't heal, right? The, the opportunity to heal from it as they go on in life, right? Until you 
can sort of tap into that experience, you can't start to heal from it. Yeah. So it sets them up for the, you know, ongoing challenges. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And what's really unfortunate and tricky is that sometimes when they are vulnerable enough to share the secret, like the family secret, nothing happened. They're sharing to get it to stop. They're sharing because they can't live this way, right? They, they've been told like, these are your safe people mm-hmm. and then nothing happens. And so then they're in trouble for sharing this, the family secret and then they weren't protected. And so then they've learned, I will never share. I can't trust anyone. Mm-hmm. And so then they don't. Right. Right. Yeah. I think when children have a sense that their parents have stayed together for their benefit, their, you know, quote unquote benefit, I think that's such a burden for them to carry. Um, Yeah. You know, first of all, the parent who's, who's the victim, right? You know, so they may feel like they need to caretake that person. I'm sure there's a lot of responses um, kids have to, yeah. to that parent. Um, but also, you know, just sort of knowing if you come to a realization that your parents stayed together in the name of your well-being, which which really just made you suffer, but also they suffered, your parents suffered, you know, mm-hmm. in your, that's such a, that to me, that seems like such an incredible burden for children to carry. Yeah. Because kids, depending on age, right. Mm-hmm. They don't understand divorce. They don't understand separation. They don't understand like the falling in and out of love. They, right. They don't have that exp- life experience yet enough to understand or the abstract thought. and. You know, so sometimes the comments from younger kids are like, mom, why did you make dad so mad? Mm. Right. Which then is heartbreaking and horrible for that parent, right? right? The victim parent. But then there is like a time when, you know, kind of like that late elementary age where kids that I see in my office, I'm a, a child therapist as well, and they be like, gosh, I just with, wish my parents would get a divorce. Mm-hmm. I just wish my parents would get a divorce because they can't stand the constant arguing, the screaming, the witnessing of abuse, the feel of the house. Yes. Like they just want it to be over. And there is this still, which, you know, this was stronger, you know, when I was first starting in the field in the early 2000s, but there's still this idea of like the broken home. And, you know, we're supposed to be like mom, dad, 2.4 kids, cat, dog, white picket fence, like happy family. (laughs) Um, But the way I see a broken home is that needs aren't being met. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if you're together or apart, but if the child's needs aren't being met, that's a broken home. And so if their safety isn't being met, their psychological safety isn't being met, um, their emotional intelligence, you know, that learning isn't being met. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're together or apart. It's a broken home, right? For these kids, right? And 
there's a lot of, I mean, there's so many barriers to leaving, which kids aren't going to understand till they are much older. Mm -hmm. So it's this balance, but they, if kids like you're their safe person. And so if you are, there's a threat to your survival and safety, that is the scariest thing for our kids. Mm -hmm. Like that is scarier for them than their own safety. And so, because you're there, you meet their needs, like you're the person. And so they will carry some of that burden. Some of our kids really want to protect that parent and will then hate themselves because they couldn't, because can a six-year-old stand up to a big adult man who's hitting their mama? No, Mm -hmm. like they're six. Can, you know, like can a 12-year-old stop financial abuse? No, nope. But they'll try and take on that role a lot of times. Um, And then there's also a a lot of kids who feel extreme anger because the victim parent isn't protecting, isn't leaving, isn't taking the kids out of the situation. There's not like, oh, well, my child only goes this way. It's ebbs and flows and they'll shift based on development and what they understand Mm -hmm. and their experience. Yeah. And I think so so many of the effects, right, aren't. Um, evident until probably a lot later on in life too. Yeah. When they have the language. they get older. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, back to what you said about a broken home. I mean, that tension of just, and even if, you know, if it's not physical abuse, but even if, you know, emotionally, right, everybody's walking on eggshells and, you know, there's just no warm, (laughs) you know, none of that home, you know, the kind of home you want children to be living in where there's warmth and caring and consideration and joy in each other's presence. Um, you know, that's, that may seem so under the radar, but I think it is so damaging. You know, it's so hard for them. Yeah. It affects how our kids attach you know, and what their attachments look like. And our attachments in early childhood really do have an effect on our longer-term relationships. It doesn't have to just be romantic relationships. That's where I spend my time working, but um, in all relationships. And so it is, it's really important to look at what, how does our home feel? Yeah, exactly. Right. If I'm nervous and anxious all the time and hypervigilant and my nervous system is going crazy and I get headaches and stomach aches and your kids probably do too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So staying together for the sake of the children, it's not the best default. Um, There there are times we understand where, you know, leaving is, is a challenge for various reasons, but all other things being equal, sort of that, that, um, motto of staying together, you know, I'm doing it for the kids is, is a a false kind of a false belief. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, while we're on the topic of children, let's just, I'm curious because when you were talking about how people, you know, the things that people may use against their partner, you know, financial and this and that, and you mentioned children that they may use the children. I'm curious if you can sort of elaborate on that and give us more of an understanding of you know, how do people use the children to control their yeah. partner? Yeah, there's a huge range 
of this on the very extreme range, they will threaten to harm the kids. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they do, right? If the if they are physically abusive and and it no longer has the results it wants, you know, the perpetrator wants when they're abusing you, they'll move to your kids. Mm-hmm. And that usually, even just the threat of that, has the exact result that they want. You will behave, again, air quotes, how you need to so that your children aren't harmed. So that's on the very extreme end of it. But it it varies the threat of, I will take your children or you're so crazy, no judge is going to give you your kids. So if you if you leave me, I'll get the kids. Right. And turn them against so, you. And Yep. And so yeah. there's those elements. Um, there is like that in that financial abuse piece, like there's, you know, if you do leave, are they going to pay child support? hit or miss there, like Mm -hmm. no, a lot of times, um, because they want to continue to financial abuse that way. They will counter parents. So say there's something, you know, your family has lived vegan for as long as your kids are alive. And that's so important to you. And that seemed to be important to them too, but that was just sort of a way to hook you and make you feel like they're your soulmate and Mm -hmm. whatnot. And then you separate and they introduce meat into your child's meals. So things like that, you know, they're not going to back up your discipline or what you think is important. So there's that way. Um, there is a term and there's there's a an inaccurate term that's out there. It's parental alienation. That term is actually a legal defense versus a real thing. What it really is, is domestic violence by proxy. And so domestic violence by proxy is abuse through a third party. So they'll use your child to at first is kind of like that middleman. And then they'll use it as like, you know, being like the Disneyland dad and do, being super fun. And they'll be like, yeah, mom's not fun. Or they'll promise a trip somewhere, but it was actually on mom's weekend. And so they'll be like, oh gosh, your mom just doesn't want you to have fun. Or they'll plan, you know, a sporting, like, oh, you've always want to play baseball. And like, yeah, mom, I want to play baseball. But all the practices are on mom's time and mom can't do it or mom can't afford it. And they're like, oh, your mom just isn't going to support your dreams, buddy. So those kind of smaller insidious things that will come into play there as well. So there's like a lot of ways for them to kind of use the children to continue that harm. But yeah, the term, you know, and this is a whole nother podcast episode, but parental alienation versus domestic violence by proxy, domestic violence by proxy there, you can see patterns of it throughout, like throughout the child's life, throughout the relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas the term parental alienation pops up, it's like, oh, wow, I filed for a divorce and all of a sudden I'm alienating. I see. And so that... But there's, oh my gosh, it's like a whole discussion and everyone is very polarized about this. But if you look at patterns, that's kind of what we're, the important thing to look at. Like, are there patterns of this Mm -hmm. throughout or is it kind of like a, this just happened? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to me, I mean, this really gets me because, you know, a parent who's willing to put their kids in the middle of something is just... That's a whole other level of how you 
It's like you want to hurt somebody else more than you love your kids, you know, like, yep, you know, I'm not a perfect parent for sure. But, you know, I can't, yeah, I can't imagine not putting my love for them and my care for their well-being ahead, like that I just want to hurt somebody so much that. Yeah, that I wouldn't, you know, they will get harmed in the process and I don't actually care. They're a tool to a tool in my arsenal. Like that's what my children are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's terrible. Um, you also had mentioned that you you largely that your your group is for women, but that men do experience this as well. And I'm wondering if there are differences in the types of abuse that women typically experience and men typically experience, if you could Mm -hmm. share that with us a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, I mean, it is a gender-based violence to some extent, like the numbers are pretty clear. However, what people aren't, you know, what people still, again, are looking at is like more of that physical violence. There is a higher lethality with a male perpetrator to a female target. There is. There's just Mm -hmm. physically it is scarier. Again, the risk of lethality is extremely high, so much higher that way. But what it looks like, the elements of coercive control are very similar Mm. when there is a male victim and a female perpetrator of. And then it looks even a little bit different when in LGBTQA family or, you know, families or or couples, there are some differences with that as well. Um, But really any way that they can have power and control over their partner. So it could be racking up extreme amounts of debt. And then it's your partner's job to Mm -hmm. fix that because it's all in their name. Um, Using kids, women, you know, if you share children, women will use children against men, which is what makes like the family court system so tricky and muddy to figure things out a lot of times, they will do that gaslighting, right? Like you don't remember it. You, you know, that didn't happen. That's your perspective. You know, those kinds of things. No one will believe you. Mm. Like more rarely, like it's not common but a female um, perpetrator of might threaten or might harm themselves and blame it on their partner. It, you know, people think it's like a lot more common than that is, but it has happened. And so, yeah, it's like any way they can isolate you because that that's pretty common within a female abuser is right. isolation is pretty strong. They'll make it so that you have no support. You just mm-hmm. don't have anywhere to go and nobody will believe you. Even if there is physical abuse from a female to a male, no one's going to believe you. And right. wow, you're not even a man. You can't take a hit from a girl, right? There's like those elements at play yeah. too when there is physical abuse. Mm-hmm. I would imagine with there's enough stigma as it is when it's a female victim. I would imagine... For a male victim, I mean, whether it's physical or emotional abuse, any, you know, anything, it's much harder for them to acknowledge and come forward with that. Yeah. Yeah. And for people even to name it. I know when I've had male clients and I'm working with them and they did not come to see me due to 
they never use the term like domestic abuse or domestic violence at all. And as they're talking, I'm like, well, that's that's actually domestic abuse or domestic violence. They're like, no, no, like I'm not scared of her. And I'm like, let's look at different forms of being scared. You may not be physically scared at all. Are you scared for your children? Are you scared for your career? Are you scared for, you know, your financial, you know, like well-being? Like, are there other ways of being fearful? Yes. Um, but they're like, no, no, that's not right. That's not it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, so that speaks to how do people begin to identify, you know, when, the, if you're in a situation, I mean, I'm trying, trying to think of sort of how this journey goes. Um, mm-hmm. And, and obviously the first part is really identifying that you're in this situation. Yeah. Right? And then after that, then there's all the decisions to be made about what's to be done about it, which I know is complicated. Um, but, you know, going back to what we were saying at the beginning, you know, you're mm-hmm. talking yourself out of it all. And, and so what would you have people ask themselves? I mean, if they're listening, they're in a situation and they're like, I don't know, is this okay? Is this not okay? I'm, I, you know, I feel I'm not happy or I feel, I feel um, like something's wrong, but I just don't know if, Mm -hmm. you know, like what, what kind of questions can they ask themselves to sort of get to the bottom of that? I mean, I know, you know, we can't advise everybody on here, but as a starting place of, um, to help people sort of assess what they should be thinking about. Yeah. I think if you are asking yourself, if you are crazy, am I the crazy one here? That's a huge warning sign, a huge red flag, because abusive people don't ask that of themselves because what they're doing is okay in their world. That's okay. That's how they work in their world. So if you, you know, are like, gosh, am I an abuser or am I, am I crazy? That's kind of your like red flag warning sign in the moment. Um, I think really focusing on like, do I feel fearful of saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing? Am I ever scared for my kids? Right? Am I parenting my kids to protect them from this person? Right. So those are some questions to ask yourself in that moment. And then kind of as you get a little further along, really starting to identify, it's called cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. And so that's when you have two really opposing thoughts or your behaviors don't match your value system. So like the, I love him, I fear him. That's a pretty big red flag, but it could be like, I would never let someone talk to me this way. I stay in this relationship and I allow this to happen. I am successful in all these areas and am confident in all these areas. I will not speak my mind at home. Right. Um, kind of those those types of things. Or if family and friends have said, and, it, and you know, initially it's like, no, I haven't. You've changed or whatever. But if they're worried about you or they've been like, gosh, you used to be so like bubbly and alive and you just are a ghost or you're vacant or you're, you know, whatever that is. 
And then the other piece, if you feel really alone, Mm. so you have family, you had friends and you have no contact with them or very little, or your partner would get angry if you had contact with them. Those are really big warning signs that you are in an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. And if you Google search, like, is this narcissistic abuse or (laughs) anything like that? It is. Like it, it probably Mm -hmm. is. So if you find yourself Google searching, that's a, that's like the hugest red flag because you already know. Right. Deep down, you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard because part of what happens in these situations, right, is that your sense of self gets so eroded. Yes. Right. And your, your, your self doubt is, is, is huge because you have somebody basically, you know, as you say, systemically telling you in one way or another, whether it's overtly or covertly, that you're not worthy, you're not valuable, mm-hmm. you're not lovable, you're not acceptable, you're crazy, you're imagining things, all these, all these things, right? So it's, yeah. it's so hard to to get from that place to have the awareness that you can, you know, feel confident in like, no, this is what's going on and this is not okay. Yeah. 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 And I think the reason why the majority of, there's a couple of reasons, but one of the main reasons the majority of survivors I work with are women or are women with children is because they weren't enough to maybe leave, right? The abuse of them, they didn't feel worthy enough to leave when it shifts to affecting their children, their children are worth it, worth it enough to mm-hmm. figure this out. And so I think that is why I work with so many survivors with children, with their partners, because that element of, oh my gosh, this is happening to my children too. And I will do anything for my babies. So that's when a lot of people start to kick it into high gear, realize it, like that this is abuse and that they may not, again, have felt worth it, worthy enough to leave just for them, but they may consider it if their children are being they know abused. It's, uh, yeah. Or it's affecting them in some, yeah, mm-hmm. some really negative way. Yeah. That's a very good point. Thank you for making that. So how can we, how can we support somebody in a situation? If we have a friend, family member, whomever, that we're pretty clear that they're not in a healthy situation. You know, it's very hard to, until somebody, right, comes to a realization themselves and acknowledgement themselves of, of their situation, it can be really hard to to talk to people about mm-hmm. what we see yeah, and to, to be supportive in ways that are supportive rather than make them feel criticized or shamed or, you know, things like that. Um, so what, what suggestions do you have of what we, you know, as outsiders to a situation mm-hmm. like that, like what is most helpful to say or not to say and what is most helpful to do or not to do. And maybe, maybe make it, maybe there's a different, well, there is a differentiation between whether the person in the situation is aware that they're in the situation or not. You know, and I'd imagine there'd be different answers for both of those. So if yeah. You can, if you can touch on those, that would be great. 
Yeah, I think the number one thing to remember is that it's not anyone else's job to kind of take on or replicate the role of power and control in the situation. When we see someone hurting, we want to help fix it. But the thing that's taken from them that they need to get back is autonomy. Mm. And so we should not take away their autonomy. So forcing someone, you know, really pushing them to leave faster than they are ready for or having like conditional love ourselves. Like I can't spend time with you anymore if you're going to stay with him. Like you then are not a safe person because on average, it takes someone seven attempts to leave an abusive relationship successfully. And so patience is a really big deal. If you don't understand completely, because some of these stories are like Netflix worthy, like you're like, what? Like who would do that? Like that is crazy. And it might not sound believable, but give them the benefit of the doubt of this is, this did happen so that they don't have to defend themselves because they don't have the energy to do that. And then again, that makes you feel like a not safe person. So kind of believing, and it's okay to say, wow, I don't really understand, but I want to. I think a question to ask is not like, are you okay? Because what are they going to (laughs) say? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm just really tired or whatever. Right. The question is, or the statement might be, I've seen some things that make me really worried for you. Do you feel safe? And that that question can be asked more than once. Because at first, that might be the scariest question that they have heard because they've never shared the secret. And so they might be like, yeah, you know, we're just in a rough patch right now. Um, But we'll get through it. And maybe a couple weeks later, you ask uh, something similar. Like, like, how are things going? You know, I noticed these changes. Do you feel safe or is there anything you need? And then having resources kind of at the ready, because I think that prevents a lot of women from leaving successfully is they don't have the energy to be online or it, it may not be safe for them to be online searching for domestic violence resources, right? Like, is their email being monitored? Probably. Is mm-hmm. their phone being monitored? Yes. So, you know, kind of finding, like, if you can get the resources for them, great. If you can help them with that and kind of some of those logistical things, like if they're going to go file for an order of protection, who's going to pick up the kids from school? Right. So offering those tangible resources of like, Hey, if you need, if you ever need to take care of business for, for this, I am happy to watch your kids for a couple hours. I'm happy to drive you like those really tangible things. Cause when we are in, you know, a true kind of crisis and nervous system crisis, we need more support for basic functioning. Right. You're so overwhelmed and flooded. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you can help take some of that off their plate, that is one of the most beneficial things you can do. And then just listening, just being present. And then also, to protect you, you've got to really 
be aware of your boundaries because you might be hearing horrible things. They may have told you horrible things and went back. And you're like, oh, like, I wish they would just leave. Like, I love them so much. I wish they would leave. It's hard for me to hear this. Mm-hmm. And so it's okay to say, wow, this sounds really hard. I'm not in a, you know, a place right now, like a safe place to listen. Like there's people around me or, or I want to give you kind of the space that you need. Can we touch base at this time? Right. And setting boundaries for you too, so that you don't burn out because that person needs you. So making sure you're taking care of you if you're helping in this realm is important too. Mm -hmm. And when you say it takes somebody on average seven times to leave, because you just you're just saying the example of they you hear these terrible things and then they go back. Is that what you're talking about? Are you talking about like they will physically leave, like remove themselves from the situation and then return? Yes. That that counts as leaving yep. on average seven um, times before. Or they'll have all their stuff packed and they'll be getting ready to go and they've made their decision like, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. Partner comes home. Either there was like a really scary threat for them to stay or it's it's called hoovering, which is a gross <laughs> word. I think I don't like it. But where they'll draw them back in like, no, like, do you remember? And they'll paint the picture mm-hmm. of what could be. Right. And the personal say, okay, and they'll stay, Right, just stay for one more night and you'll see. And so, but there is like plan to leave. Some people have filed divorce, filed and go back. Some people have filed for orders of protection and go back. And so it's good to know that, like if you're supporting, because it is, it seems crazy. Like it does. It's like, what? Like they're not safe, but a victim actually and this sounds so backwards, a victim knows how to stay safe, right? They're still here. And so very often the way that their nervous system is kind of now set up or conditioned is their partner comes home, they throw the mail on the table a certain way. And their nervous system is like, beep, beep, boop, boop, like a computer. And now they know how to act tonight so that no one's harmed. Right, right. So then all of a sudden they leave and they have no indication of where their partner's mindset is at, where even physically, where is my partner? And so their nervous system is like, unsafe, unsafe. You need to know these things. You need to know these things to stay safe. So sometimes they'll go back because they feel safer if they can know where their partner's head is at that day. So that sounds, right? It's like, if you're on the outside and you're like, what? That's so crazy. They got the order of protection. Why would they allow him to break it? Very often it is because their nervous system is like, you are not safe. You are not safe. You need to know where they are because that's how they've maintained safety for the last however many years. Right. Or your kids too. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think a lot of people feel this in, in any divorce, even when the partner isn't abusive, you know, that feeling that first time where your kids go off with their other parent and you are like not there maybe for the first time to kind of really be monitoring, you know, and and again, not even when they're dangerous, just, you know, you have things you want done a certain way or whatever it is. um, It's at scary moment. Yes. You're no longer the buffer. Yeah. Yeah. You're no longer able to make that, you know, decision of like tonight is movie night with popcorn. Keep the kids quiet tonight to keep everyone safe. Yeah. yeah. You don't, you don't have that. And you're not controlling also the 
the spin. You know, you're mm-hmm. not there to sort of try to make sure they're not saying something about you or whatever that is. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's like just being kind of allowing them to find their own way mm-hmm. with some support. Right. Um sticking right. around, not questioning. Like don't say, I can't believe that. He's always been so nice to me. Right, right. No. <laughs> <laughs> why didn't you tell me? Or why didn't you leave sooner? You know, if I was hit the first time I was hit, I would leave, right? Those statements are, are pretty judgy yeah. and they will then deem you not safe. Like you're mm-hmm. not a safe person. Mm-hmm. And so then you won't get to, right. And nobody says that with malintent. It's really because you can't believe it and you're mad and you're, you right. care about your person, but they will deem you as not safe. Sure. No, that makes you know, sense. Your support yeah. is is yeah. gone. So, yeah. um, and you know, and I always, I mean, you can tell me what you think about this, but I think so many times when people don't leave relationships, you know, when you have an abandonment wound yourself, you know, when that's part of your makeup and your attachment history and all of that, even if you're the one doing the leaving, you feel abandoned like there can be that sense like that you're being Mm -hmm. left in a way and I feel like that sometimes plays into the challenges people face with leaving really toxic relationships there's there's so much grief around it and the the part that is it's devastating it's so devastating when we're you know working with survivors is um the whole thing was a scam Like you fell in love with someone who is not real. They're not even a real person. And the dreams that you had that were painted for you were never real. They were never going to happen. And so that piece can feel like that real betrayal Mm. and abandonment because you were so vulnerable with this person who was not real and who used all that against you. And so it it is so harmful. Yeah. And it's just letting go of that hope, right? Like, you know, but you, you as you say, I mean, what you're grieving is the dream. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not you're not grieving the reality. You're grieving the the losses in that dream, letting go yeah. of that dream. If you if you separate that from what the reality is and you see the reality isn't a loss. Yeah you know, to walk yes. away from that. So many but. of my people are like, well, I don't miss him at all, but I miss like this idea. Yeah. But yeah they don't typically miss the partner, right. like the actual right. person. Yeah. You wanted to have this happy family and you wanted all these things. And yeah. So, well, this has been so helpful. So thank you for everything you shared. One last question. Where, where can people find you? And also, you know, where can people find help if they're in a crisis situation? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll speak to the crisis situation because I think it is really important if you're a a support person. Um, There is an organization called domesticshelters.org. And so you can just Google search that. And the reason I always share their information is because they are kind of like the hub. So no matter what state you live in. They have some international resources as well. Um, 
they can get you to the right place. So you don't have to search, you know, your state, your county, your this. You can go there and they've done the work for you. Okay. Um, They have all of the, you know, crisis lines available. They have all the advocacy agencies available. They have lots of information and safety planning. And like, it's just a really good hub of information. So that's domesticshelters.org. Okay. It's a really amazing resource. Um, And then to get in touch with me, my community, and that, that company is called Rising Beyond Power and Control. And so we have a, a membership community where survivors come and connect and we do some support groups and um, kind of like strategy coaching for post-separation abuse, communicating with your partner because you still get to parent with them to some extent if you have children. And then we do like a lot of court strategy, family court strategy um, in that community. Um, Lots of resources there. And the website for that is www.risingbeyondpc.com. And then if you want to listen to me blab on about different things, (laughs) about you know, all things kind of healing from these relationships. I have the Rising Beyond podcast that I started for this community and and this population. It's very specific to this topic. Well, I could listen to you blab on all day, but I'll have to go to the podcast to do that. (laughs) We have to go now. But um, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And thanks everybody for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening and being part of the conversation. Please find a way to validate yourself today. Maybe find a way to validate someone else too. And if you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also join me at No Not Crazy on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's build this community of validation together. Mm -hmm.